Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to Series 2 of the Crop It Like It's Hot podcast, brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and The Crop Tech Show and hosted by me, Alice Dyer. In this new series, we're kicking off with three how-to episodes, looking at how to manage crop nutrition, disease and pests this season, but starting with fertilisers. Now this is obviously an incredibly hot topic at the moment because over the past nine months fertiliser prices have skyrocketed and with summer gas futures still four to five times higher than in previous years the trend looks sadly set to continue. But just before we get started with our first guest don't forget you can get one CPD point for tuning into this podcast by emailing the name of the podcast episode plus your basis account number to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. Now to get started with my first guest who has spent the last 40 plus years researching what makes a crop tick, I've got Professor Roger Sylvester Bradley here, Head of Crop Performance at ADAS. So Roger, the focus at the moment is on finding the economic optimum for nitrogen applications this season with these increased prices that we are seeing. So first off, really just wanted to find out, you know, what that economic optimum is and how is it calculated? Well, uh, as most growers will understand, you can't, you don't apply infinite amounts of nitrogen, it's not worthwhile. So you've got to find the point at which it's worth stopping and the point at which it's worth stopping is when any extra grain or uh, whatever crop produce you're selling whenever the value of that value of the extra yield that you get doesn't pay for the extra nitrogen so that's where you need to stop and i spent my whole career trying to uh, work out the variation in that and and sort of how to predict that it's not an easy thing to predict and we're not 100 percent successful in fact we're only about 50 percent successful in predicting that but nevertheless uh that is what we're trying to concentrate on and the interest in uh, you know this year is because fertilizer prices have changed dramatically um in what difference that makes to the to the optimum so all the recommendations that we've produced over the years um, since uh, about 2008, they've been set at uh, five kilograms of, of cereal grain paying for one kilogram of fertilizer nitrogen. And, and so that's, uh, that's the, a point on a response curve where the, the extra yield stops paying for the value of the fertiliser okay. or the value of the nutrient in the fertiliser. Okay, so once growers have worked that out based on the price that they've bought nitrogen for, um, in terms of cutting back their nitrogen applications, w- what timings do we see the least impact on yield to do this and which timings are really very important? Yes, well, the, I mean, the first thing to consider is by how much are they cutting back and um, it's actually what they will need to do is to work out what their new price ratio is. We call it the break-even ratio. So you you have to uh, you know look at the the cost the, the price per ton that you well and, and also you first need to think about the value of the fertilizer that you've got in the barn or that is 
is being delivered in the lorry. Um, basically, if it was, if you only paid, you know, a low, a relatively low price compared with the current price, you need to consider whether the fertilizer uh, in the barn is something you you could resell, uh, maybe to a neighbour who hasn't got enough fertilizer, or something that you could keep until next year. So. If you still regard it as only worth what you paid for it, you know, uh, ten months ago, then so be it. That, then you need to do that calculation. But um, once you've worked out that ratio, then you we've got lookup tables, or in fact, the AHDB has got a calculator that tells you by how much uh, you should reduce. The, the recommendations from what the recommendations are currently saying and um, generally we've worked out that if the price ratio has changed from 5 which is what the recommendations are geared to uh, to 10 which is you know roughly what is the current ratio um, then you need to reduce the, for cereals reduce by 50 kilograms per hectare what the, from the current recommendation and for oil seeds the ratio has changed from two and a half so two and a half kilograms of oil seed uh, will pay for one kilogram of nitrogen um, and that's what we've assumed in the recommendations but now it's gone up to about four and for oil seeds that means also that you reduce the quantity of fertilizer nitrogen by 50 kilograms per hectare roughly. Um, so um, then the question about timing comes in and um, and sort of which of the timings you should cut back and basically you should cut back the least if, if you think you know what the least effective timing is that's the one you should cut back yeah. and so for feed cereals and for malting barley uh, you probably would be cutting back the latest applications for milling wheat there is a question of well, i don't know whether you're going to ask me about this alice but <laughs> <laughs> milling wheat uh, it, there's a question of whether you should be cutting back at all because if you lose your premium yeah. You stand to risk losing your premium. Then you you shouldn't be cutting back at all. Uh, probably, if you're committed to a certain contract or if you're committed to a certain specification and you're worried about not meeting that specification, then you probably it's worth carrying on applying what you were intending to apply before the prices went up. You mentioned milling wheat there, um, and I think maybe prioritising different crops might also be quite an important consideration this season. Um, I know a lot of oilseed rape crops are looking very forward at the moment um, and a few agronomists have said there may be potential to cut back there. But what are your thoughts in terms of prioritising the different crops in the rotation and um, the nutritional programme? Well, my, my thoughts are that um, assuming that your sort of plans last year um, would have been carried on this year, you actually cut back each crop by the same amount if you were fertilising them all. Obviously, you know, for your peas and beans, you won't be applying nitrogen at all. You won't have to cut back at all and you, that isn't a consideration. 
configuration. But if it was worth applying nitrogen to this crop, then you cut back by the same amount on every crop. And uh, the, the timings might be different. I mean, the case you brought up there, Alice, which is uh, a forward glossy rate crop, it already says in the recommendations that if you've got a very forward crop, then you don't need to apply nitrogen uh, early. Uh, so it, it's, it's really pulling back across the board that I would uh, propose is the best strategy because you, you're sort of you're just pulling back from that last little bit of yield that you would have gained by applying that 50 kilograms or whatever it was. Okay. And Yen Nutrition, um, you're in, well, you said you're just finishing your second season um, of grain analysis and benchmarking um, grain nutrition post-harvest. You've also obviously been running the Yen for a number of years now. Um, So I'm just interested to know if you've seen any, um, you know, kind of noticeable trends in the results that might give us an idea on how we can make improvements to crop nutrition and maybe a bit wider crop management this season? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> we're learning lots of lessons from this grain analysis, Alice, and um, I'm sure you don't want me to speak for several hours now, so <laughs> uh, I'll just try and pick out a few, a few things. I mean, the, the first thing is, it's so striking, because I have to sign off everybody's reports and in the end nutrition we analyze six fields per farm and it's so striking how farms differ so you can have you know you can have a farm that's evidently getting high proteins across the board and you know they may not be selling the grain for um for, for bread making so they're just spending a bit too much on nitrogen across the farm and I sort of wonder, did they know that before? Are they, that really is their strategy? And, you know, or it could be the other way. It could be, well, this farm is getting an awful lot of manganese deficiency, you know, sort of low manganese levels. So this farm factor is a real uh, eye-opener to me. Uh, as a, you know, as a scientist who've been trying to work out recommendations, the fact that farms are still very different um, you know, it, it, it may not be nitrogen or manganese, it may be phosphorus, it may be, um, it, it may be actually one of the other micronutrients. Um, there sort of really are farm differences there that I'm sort of believing farmers don't really appreciate. So uh, that's the first thing. I mean, uh, we, we have, in because we've been measuring grain uh, nutrients in the, uh, in the crop yens since... 2016 we can we can look at some trends and uh, I mean we can see quite significant seasonal variation so particularly with uh, potassium and magnesium they go up and down quite a bit um, this year seems to be a relatively uh, well you know the, the potassium levels are pretty good mm-hmm. but the, it's interesting to me that the phosphorus levels actually there is a bit of a trend in phosphorus going down. I don't understand whether that's uh, what, what it's due to yet, and we're, you know, we're just setting about looking at hard at this data and what's, uh, what's causing all the variation, but, but that is a bit of a trend. And have you seen a shift in the way people are maybe managing their, 
the whole rotation, um, you know, maybe looking at it more holistically? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I mean this, my general conclusion about this is, is, you know, with prices going up like this and, and actually with, you know, the basic payments tapering off, that this sort of attention to detail, the ability to measure what's happening on the farm becomes more and more valuable, more than the payoff from it um, must surely be increasing. And um, whether I'm seeing... I think I am seeing extra attention by the advisory community, um, you know, in, in managing nutrients better, uh, and clearly that's going to increase in its importance as time goes on, uh, because we're going to have you know more and more attention to things like um, carbon footprinting and so on, which is very much linked to nitrogen management. So good management becomes more valuable as as prices go up and subsidies go down. So um, I think that's the general trend I would talk about. Yeah. And you said you spent your career kind of looking at, at this and crop nutrition yeah. and things. You must have seen things change substantially throughout that time in terms of, you know, the way that people are managing crops and prices and everything like that. Yeah. Not all the changes are good. But the subtle changes are good. I mean, we're so much more efficient than we used to be in yeah. dealing with just dealing with data, Alice. I, I mean, you know, we we have all this software to help us, which is so brilliant. And you know, that's what excites me about the future is that agriculture is a hugely variable operation. But I would like to draw the analogy with football and managing football. Football is hugely variable, lots of unpredictable and uncontrollable factors, but they are now building data into football management, massive, big data, you know, so you know how every player is kicking, whether he's kicking the ball too forward, too uh, enough, or backward too much, or whatever it is. But, uh, and, you know, I sort of think we, that's where we're going with farming, and, and if we can share that data, so we've got lots of it, we can see the variations, we'll be able to be much more sophisticated in knowing what's controlling the things we want to control. Yeah, um, do you think that will help us, or will it allow us to get over these crazy prices that we're seeing? Yeah, if we get, the, uh, I mean, the more you measure, the more you know, the more you can manage. You, if you don't measure, you can't manage. That's, I, I you know, I'm not a farmer and I'm not, uh, Obviously, I'm a scientist, but I know from science, if you don't measure things, you can't, you know, you can't understand them. So, um, yeah, that's, to me, that's the name of the game into the future is, is measuring and understanding those measurements. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. It's been good to chat. Very welcome. Thank you. Now, next up, he's already been on the podcast once before, but he was so good we had to get him back. Chris Martin is Head of Soil Health at AgriVista, and today he's going to tell us about some of the trials the company have been doing into alternative sources of plant nutrition. Chris, I I wanted to talk today um, about product-based solutions that might kind of mitigate the high nitrogen prices that we're experiencing at the moment. Um, So, you know, whether that might be like slower release fertilizers or um, products that might help to improve nitrogen uptake. Um, 
And I know that you've been looking at a number of different things at your trial sites um, at Lamport in Northamptonshire. So I just wondered if you could kind of talk over some of those, what you've seen and how they might help growers. Yeah, sure. Um, there's, a, there's a massive range of different products out there that all got their own strengths and will all fit into certain um, circumstances. Um, I guess going forward, the first thing to think about is anybody who's using slurries or digestates. And one of the key things with using slurries or digestates, particularly digestates where a lot of the, the nitrogen is in the ammonium form, which is a, a relatively stable form of nitrogen but is available to the crop, it, the idea is to try and keep it in that form for as long as possible and, and slow down the, the conversion to nitrate where it can be lost through leaching and, and there's nitrous oxide. Uh, and a product that's very, very popular this year is nitropyrin, um, which is in products such as Enlock and Instinct. Uh, and anyone using digestates, etc., this year will be a very sensible approach. Um, what this essentially does is it inhibits the multiplication of, of, of a type of bacteria, which converts the ammonium to the nitrate, so it keeps it in this form for longer. Um, and over 30 years' worth of research on this product, so it's not a new product, it's been around for a long time, has shown a reductions of 50% in nitrous oxide emissions and 16% in leaching. And obviously on the back of that, that means you're getting more value for your organic fertilizers, your slurries and your digestates. So anybody applying those sort of products this year, it's well worth considering a nitrification inhibitor to go alongside them. When it comes to more um, mainstream fertilizers, um, there are lots of options out there to try and replace some of the the bag den that we'd normally be applying, but we've done a lot of work over a lot of years and we've never found anything that is going to replace more than about 40 to 50 kilos of nitrogen. Okay. We still need to have a base of about 150 kilos as a, as a base level, um, certainly in a wheat crop, for example, and then we can add to it, but we need that base level there from traditional nitrogen sources. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of options that we can do that. Um, probably one of the most popular that people will be reading about at the moment are the, are the slow-release nitrogen fertilizers, yeah. um, products such as MZ28, um, which is a 20% um, foliar urea, but at different um, polymer length chains. So what that means is the nitrogen is released at different stages, so it's a slow um, release of the nitrogen fertilizer into the crop. Um, we originally started looking at this about 20 years ago, not as a cheaper form of nitrogen, but as a more environmental friendly form of nitrogen. So what we're trying to do is look at trying to reduce nitrate. We, we all know nitrate into our soils is probably one of the worst things for soil health. Um, very much encourages bacteria at the expense of fungi. Um, we also know it encourages grass weeds, such as black grass. And we also know the more nitrate that a crop takes up, the lower the bricks reading and the higher it's going to go, the higher chance it has of getting diseases. So we, we were looking at this a long time ago for that reason. Um, and also as an as a option to reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions, because MZ28 is about a quarter of the greenhouse gas emissions um, as, as, a, as the best fertilizer on the market. And also you're putting a lot lower rate on because it's more efficient. So it works out several times less carbon footprint um, than traditional fertilizers. But the advent of current costs means it's also very cost effective too. So in the current market where we'll be looking for the last 40 kilos a hectare on the feed wheat, we'll be applying 28 litres of MZ28 uh, and that'll be a very, very cost-effective way of, of, of filling in that last 40 uh, kilos a hectare in your programme. And that will be applied roughly around about growth stage 32. So that, that's one of the big ways of, of trying to replace direct fertiliser 
with a, a four-year urea, and that's been very, very successful. There are others that think they can, can sort of replace this big 30 to 40 kilos as well. Um, LCBF Boost, which is a, a molasses uh, and a yeast extract product that I think four of the last sole farmers of the year winners have been using or advocating. Uh, it's basically a carbon source. And again, we've been looking at it more from a soil health point of view than a nitrogen point of view. But what we've seen quite clearly, and there's been a lot of NIAB tag work to, to back this up, has been because you're putting a carbon source alongside your nitrogen, you're actually getting better value. The amino acids are being formed more efficiently, so you're getting better value for your nitrogen. And again, with a, with a full standard of boost, which is approximately 40 litres a hectare across the whole season in a cereal crop, you could be looking to reduce your nitrogen by 30 to 40 kilos as well um, with the same yield results. So some pretty positive work um, with, with boost as another option to try and replace that last um, 30 to 40 kilos. Yeah. The final... The final option we've been sort of looking at has been looking at specific bacteria, so free living bacteria that can actually fix nitrogen. Because we keep talking about the, the 30 to 35,000 tonnes, um, an acre's worth of nitrogen that's inert above our every acre uh, of our soils, and yet we can't use it. So surely it makes sense to try and actually use some of that like, like a legume crop would. So there are free living bacteria now that can actually um, convert some of that into plant usable sources so the plant can use it and and again we're looking at somewhere in the region of 20 to 30 kilos worth of nitrogen that we can actually fix from the right bacteria with the likes of smart rotations and plant works so there's several different options that people can look at um, depending on what they want to achieve to try and make that last um, 40 50 kilos a hectare of nitrogen stretch a bit further um, particularly for those who haven't bought it yet it could be a good option and even those that have bought it at a good price, the chances are next year it's not going to be, it's probably going to start with at least a four in front of it if we're optimistic. So uh, it might be worth keeping some of that nitrogen back for next year and using some of these products to make it stretch a little bit further. Okay, yeah, there's some quite big savings there then. Um, so are these, the, the boost products and the bacteria, is that what we would class as a biostimulant effectively? Um, I mean, the, the, the bacteria are genuinely um, the waste uh, the companies plant works at the, the market in the UK. Um, they're done to pharmaceutical level. So they're actually just choosing four species of bacteria that they have done a lot of work that prove will be um, synergistic to growing wheat. Um, now, they haven't got them for all crops yet. Uh, for example, they haven't got a set that works well with barley. Um, so it's very, very specific having the right things that are going to work with the right crop. Um, so it is a biostimulant, but it's a bit more scientific than that. It has, you know, they, they literally are only putting four bacteria in there. One caveat I would say, if your soil is in really poor health and very anaerobic, there's not a lot of chance these, these guys are going to survive um, against some of the anaerobic bugs in the soil. So again, this is probably for the people that are going a little bit more down the regen route and have got good soil health. And then it's a great opportunity to introduce the right species into their soil um, to make their soil start to work for them. Boost on the other hand is basically a bacterial feed, um, and, and that's why I like to look little and often with boost, so you don't get too much of a, of a big increase in, in bacteria. If we get too much of a big increase or a volume of bacteria, it can have two negative effects. It can, it can increase carbon dioxide losses from the soil, um, and it can also, if, they, if they're replicating at a rate faster than oxygen diffuse into the soil, they're using up oxygen at a really, really quick rate. They can actually start to turn the soil 
anaerobic. So it's making sure you're going little and often to keep these bugs fired up and making sure you're keeping aerobic bugs in the soil because they're the ones that are going to help the, the, the plant feed. But also the added bonus, the boost, is because it's a carbon source, it's making sure when, when that nitrogen goes to the plant, it's got a carbon source to be ready because amino acids need carbon and nitrogen to form. So the two are actually ready there for it. Okay. So these are products that you would recommend people probably be using anyway, are they? Or are they something that would be particularly cost-effective yeah. this uh, season because of the fertiliser prices? Absolutely. I mean, Boost has been used, as I say, the last four of the last five so far of the year are already advocates of, of Boost. And, and that's really been for a soil health point of view to, to encourage biology, get the biology really, really fired up in our soils because we know biology is at an all-time low in, in across the, the country generally. So that's the idea is to get it, get it built up. Um, the beauty of this year is um, you, because of the cuttings you can have in nitrogen, it's paying for itself several times over before you even think of the benefits you're getting for soil health. Um, and again, things like MZ28, we've been using that for a lot of years. We've been looking at 20 years now, um, but we've been looking at it from a more of a regen agricultural point of view in, in a soil health. But now it is very cost effective compared to, to anybody in the nitrogen situation. So this year is just, I guess it's an opportunity for people to look at some of these products that they maybe wouldn't have in the past just because they're now very very cost effective yeah and then finally what's your advice um for growers this season when it comes to crop nutrition and the approach that they should take um i think the key thing is the the end price is fantastic for growers at the moment um knock on that is obviously the the price of the inputs uh, we know the price of agrochemicals are going up significantly. We know the price of fertilizer has gone absolutely crazy. Um, but we still need to maximize yield to get the best out of these high prices. And, and it's still very cost effective to do so. But what we need to do is make sure nutrition is matched to need. So what I'd be looking at is a lot more testing. So at the moment, from a nitrogen perspective, it's well worth doing some deep core nitrogen testing to see how much you've got to start with. I'll give you an indication of what's in your soil and what's likely to be available for the rest of the season so you can be more accurate with what you need to give it. Um, also, for other nutrients, it's important to have the whole cocktail. If one nutrient's missing, it's going to impact the rest of them. Um, you know, things like molybdenum, for example, is, is, is an element that we, we barely consider on cereals. Yeah, molybdenum is really, really important for nitrogen metabolism. And, and you may only need one atom of molybdenum for every million atoms of nitrogen. But if you haven't got that one atom of molybdenum, you're compromising those million atoms of nitrogen because you're not going to metabolize as efficiently. So it's making sure that whole picture's there. And the only way to do that is to test. So soil testing and then in-season tissue testing or sap testing is also very, very important to make sure we're matching nutrition to need. Um, what we have available now is growth stage related tissue testing, which is really, really useful because it tells you where you are today, um, where you should be today, and more importantly, where you should be at the next growth stage and what you would need to do to get there. So probably the most comprehensive way of matching nutrition to need. And then what's a really useful tool to do, and, and, and whilst it's only a post-mortem, because it's looking backwards, is then a grain test. And, and the grain test will tell you how successful your nutrition program's been. And whilst that's a hindsight thing, you can learn from it from next year if there's areas you're getting horribly wrong with your nutrition. Things like phosphate in particular, one of the best ways of, of measuring how efficient you've been with phosphate fertilizer is to look at your grain test. 
Yeah, I think the uh, the labs are going to be busy this season when it comes to testing. Absolutely. I mean, you have to test anyway as part of the Formula One water, so every, every field has to be tested. Every cultivated field in England must be tested by the end of April um, 2023, so only just over a year away. Um, and, um, you know, you might as well actually just go and have that, that little bit extra money to get a full test, and then you've got the full picture. Um, so, you know, without the full jigsaw, you, you, you are literally trying to complete that jigsaw with the key pieces missing. Thanks very much, Chris. There's some really useful information there. Are you looking to improve your serial disease control this spring? If so, Arizona from Adama could be the answer. Containing 500 grams per litre of the multi-site fungicide Folpet, Arizona not only extends the life of partner products, but also improves yields by helping crops to stay greener for longer. In fact, trials have shown that including Arizona as a tank mix partner with other fungicides can improve wheat and barley yields by as much as 0.3 to 0.6 tonnes per hectare by controlling key diseases such as septoria and rhynchosporium. Visit adama.com forward slash UK to find out more and to subscribe to our Serial Disease Hub for seasonal updates throughout the spring. Arizona, the flexible, cost-effective multi-site fungicide that pays for itself and more. And now to hear experiences from the field. I'm very pleased to have Andy Howard here with me who farms in Kent and by taking a holistic approach to crop management, he's managed to cut bagged nitrogen use on his farm by around 50% in the last six years. Now, Andy, I'm going to go straight in there with the big questions. As I've just said, you've managed to cut your bagged fertiliser use substantially in recent years. There was obviously a reason for this. Do you think this price hike has really highlighted the reliance that we as an industry have on cheap fertiliser? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've been talking about this for since I finished my Nuffield in 2015, 2016, that we need to reduce our reliance on nitrogen for, for many reasons in terms of soil health, plant disease, um, just for overall input reduction. Um, and um, it, it seems to have taken a high nitrogen price for the majority of people to start sort of agreeing. But um, the fact that people, um, it's taken this crisis to um, to wake up to it is, is a bit of a shame, really, because it's something that's been really bubbling under the surface for the last 10 years but because nitrogen's been so-called cheap we haven't really worried about it yeah um, but it's something it's been top of my list for the last five ten years and you've obviously been on quite a journey on your own farm in terms of reducing inputs um so i just wanted to know really what kind of steps you've taken and what impact that has had on your fertilizer use so when i finished my nuffield in 2016 i decided um that i was going to reduce um, nitrogen fertilizer and other inputs by 10% per year for the next five years and um, we did that finished that last year uh, I think it's quite important not just to go cold turkey because yeah. um, uh, uh, you know your soils are addicted to nitrogen really um, like the whole system um, so and, you, and you're going to make mistakes as well and Sometimes you, you go, might go too fast and you might change your mind on different things. Um, so I, was do, I did it that way by, by slowly slowly doing it. And I've, I've done it lots of different ways. It's not one of the key things, I guess, is it's, it's definitely not one thing that has allowed me to reduce my nitrogen. And I've got a list of a dozen in front of me that we do on the farm. 
Um, and I guess the first thing is it all starts with the soil. If you've got healthy soil, good organic matter, good aeration, um, your soil will hopefully release, you know, a five, 5% organic matter soil will release about 50, 50 kilograms a hectare of nitrogen every year um, on average. So if you've got that, that's a start. Um, but we do test for nitrogen as well. We have done. Um, I used to do a Haney soil test, which is from the States, uh, which um, gives an estimated um, release, not just the amount that's in the soil. Uh, it's an estimated release. Uh, this year, I'm thinking of using a um, AAN test from this country, which is uh, av- act- available active nitrogen, which is a similar thing. Gives you not just how much is in the soil, because you're not necessarily going to get everything that's in the soil. Uh, it's how much a prediction of what you will receive, so you can then remove that from your nitrogen total. Um, but that's so. This, for me, the starting point really was uh, the soil and looking um, what was in there. Um, and there's lots of other things. I guess another one, a main one, has been um, rotation. Um, we have changed our rotation. So we now have grass in the system, which takes less nitrogen, and that's for herbage seed. Um, we grow pulses. Um, we grow into crops. Um, so all, all, all these things have allowed me to reduce my farm overall nitrogen, um, even if on some of the crops like winter wheat, I might not have reduced by 50%. They've probably gone down 30 to 40% my nitrogen. But overall, the farm is probably over 50% now. We've managed to reduce the nitrogen just, just by the crops we're growing. It has allowed me that. Um, other key things, I guess, for me has been cover cropping. So cover crop hold, allows you to hold on to the nitrogen um, suck it back up, keep it in the plant matter, you're not losing it over winter. It's just very important to um, not have a leaky a leaky bucket yeah. in your soil, so you're, you're sucking it back up, holding onto it and making it available for the next crop, or maybe maybe two crops down the line, really. Um, so that they've been key as well, never having bare soil, um, not moving the soil. Um, they're all very key things that are part of good soil health, but also part of um, reducing nitrogen. And I and you mentioned your Nuffield scholarship. Um, you yeah. did this on intercropping. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, and I know a few farmers are you know giving this a try and things like clover understories. Do you think that yeah. these alternative systems can play a key role in kind of most commercial broadacre arable farming, or would you say they're more I don't know like a bit of a niche? At the moment, they're a niche, um, but. Um, it's such a wide subject and such a wide different number of techniques you can do under the banner of intercropping, um, intercropping living mulches. Um, personally, on our farm, we do do intercropping with um, pulses and cereals or pulses and brassicas together, and we never put any nitrogen on them. Um, they just don't need it. So immediately, that's sort of 25% of our farm that might be in beans and oats together or uh, lentils and oats Um something like that that just don't need any nitrogen because intercropping um, creates a, an environment in the soil and for the plant which means you don't need nitrogen um, but um, the things like living mulches we have tried um, and we have had some success um, but they're a lot harder to manage because they're there for three or four years um, we had issues with getting the clover understory established 
for various reasons. Um, and when you do get it established, you've got to be careful that that living mulch doesn't compete with your cash crop for for water uh, and for and for nutrients and for light, etc. Um, so I think living mulches are, have have a future, but I think that that they need more work to be done on them. Um, in terms of, do I think uh, every arable farm can do it? Yes, I think so. I don't think. I don't think there's any reason why not. I mean, one of the biggest barriers probably would be the if you're doing full intercropping is um, if you're harvesting more than one crop is a separation. Mm. Um, so we did separate. Oh, we did. I built my own separator. I bought a load of secondhand grain cleaning equipment off the internet and put it together, and um, we did that. So we can separate, and that probably is that probably would be a bottleneck for most people. Yeah. Um, but then. 40 years ago most farms probably had a grain cleaner on the farm um and they slowly went got rotted and um and um central stores came along etc um but i don't see any reason why um they can't sort of come back in or there'd be sort of mobile cleaners um central stores in france central stores accept mixed crops so it, ta- it, it just takes a bit of um I guess the farmer telling the central store or someone that that's what they de- they're demanding, and then they have to invest. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it'll take time. But it, there's no reason, no reason why people can't try a small area, see where, how it works, really. Um, but I think in the future it'll, it'll have to be, um, it'll have to become part of the system, just because not price of inputs, environmental costs, pi- yeah. price of you know pesticides, etc. It's just um, it's all pushing that way that you need to be able to grow good yielding crops with very little inputs and that's what intercropping can achieve. Yeah, yeah, there's some quite interesting field labs and things going on around kind of intercropping yeah. and living mulches and stuff, isn't there? Yeah, no, they're, they're, they've come up with some good good stuff, but um, it's it's all, even though intercropping's been around for 5,000 years, it's there's still a, a lot we don't know um, and what we do need to find out, you know, we need lots of more people to try different ideas, different mixes, different things, yeah. and get that knowledge. Um, you know, we've done lots of trials on the farm, but there's still a lot we don't know. Yeah, I think it needs it needs more research, but um, it will it will um, it I will become more mainstream. I think in the next um, in the next ten years. I think. I mean, when I finished my Nuffield five years ago, hardly anyone in the country was doing it, and now I see people around the country trying the odd field here and there. So it it is starting to pick up. Yeah. I think that'll only grow. And then on to um, crop health testing. I know you do a lot of tests um, throughout yeah. the season for nutrition. So what what tests are you going to be doing this season um, to really kind of get a hold of your crop nutrition programme? Well, I have been doing tissue tests, um, which will give a snapshot of... Um, I'll do them sort of what, uh, every um, important growth stage, depending on the crop. Yeah. Or a week, you know, or maybe a week, ten days before, I'm going to go through with a, um, a nutrition spray, um, and they have worked quite well. But they really are just a snapshot of what's going on that day. Um, I'm planning for this season to try some SAP pH tests. No, sorry, SAP tests, um, which is a bit more in depth, and that gives you a more of a guidance as what's going to be happening in the next sort of week, ten days. So I'll be doing um, those this this year, um, and we'll carry on doing our 
um, BRICS testing, which is basically with a refractometer, and that's a good for plant health. Um, plant health, that's not necessarily going to help with nitrogen. Um, and then I do have a Yara um, handheld end tester, which I do use on the wheat and barley, uh, to give me a guide of, of um, uh, what, what is in the crop. Um, on that day at that time to see what what is going on and whether I do need to um, apply more or I've got enough. I more use it to, as a guide to say, right, have I got enough? Never have, then I can walk away. Um, the only problem with those YRN testers is they're not calibrated for uh, and they're only calibrated for winter wheat and winter barley mainly. There's other crops that they're not calibrated for, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So they have, you know, they have a, they do have their limit. And do you use any kind of biological treatments or i've just been speaking to um chris martin um about you know biostimulants and bacterias and things like that so we've been using some biologicals um for nitrogen for about the last five years and that they're they're really bugs in a jug um so i buy them off from a company and um i brew them up at home to make them um go further and make them cheaper and then that liquid goes down in um with the drill uh, like all biological things, you never quite know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but um, I sort of can almost guarantee you're going to get 30 kilograms of nitrogen um, from them in the growing season, but it might be 100. Um, but okay. again, all these, that, those biologicals, um, they need to go into a healthy soil with plenty of air. Otherwise, um, they're just going to die when you go in there. Um, so I have been using biologicals, and it's, it's part of the system. Um, but what I am going to be doing from this year is um, some compost extracts. So I've made my own high-quality high, high quality compost, and I'm going to be putting them down with the drill, and I'm hoping that that will help us um, reduce nitrogen um, even further, but um, I haven't done that yet, so that's sort of a wait and see for yeah. this year. watch this space. Watch this space. Um, but, yeah, our nitrogen strategy for this year is going to be quite different just because of what's happened with the price so this year i've only bought one load of ammonium nitrate whereas we normally buy three loads of fertilizer um the second dose of nitrogen is going to be from digestate um we're lucky we've got digestate on the um nearby um and then the the later doses are going to be with foliars so they won't be um they're a lot more efficient up sort of straight onto the leaf so you don't have to go through the roots um you need a lot less um so the late the later nitrogen is going to be foliars this year so i've really been pushed we have been playing around with foliars and digestate but this year i've been almost been pushed into it um to go go the whole hog just because i'm not willing to spend 700 pound a ton on on nitrogen yeah so yeah no it's been an interesting interesting uh, year and i think we're i think we're sorted for this year but we'll see yeah um i thought if it works then i won't be going back i hopefully get rid of that one one bat one lorry load of nitrogen and won't need any in the future but um at the moment we're we're not there yet yeah that would be nice and yeah. um on and then on to technology you obviously mentioned the um yara n sensor but you're doing a project called n2 vision is that right we are, yes, yeah. So I just wondered if you could just tell us a bit about that, what it involves, what it is. Well, this the first part of the project is really a feasibility study, um, a proof of concept. So 
what we're doing, what we did last year was in the field of wheat, we had different treatments, um, different rates of nitrogen, and we were using a drone and a robot um, to go across to go across the across the plots and um, from the data you got from the um, photos was to um, create an algorithm to be able to use those photos to detect um, the amount of nitrogen in the soil and in the plant um, and we're nearly fin- at the end of that project and we've sort of proved the proof of concept that um, basically a um, a robot would can go across the across the field with a certain set of cameras and detect um, detect the plant nitrogen status um, as it goes across across the field um, and improved on what was already out there. Um, and it's also the, the interesting thing about it is it's we're, we're trying to get down to the per plant level, so mm-hmm. it's it's proper proper precision farming. It's not the satellite and spread it 24 meters and yeah. changes you're going across a field it's really going to be down to hopefully eventually be a bit down to the per plant level so you're treating treating different individual plants um but the next next stage of the uh n2 vision project which hopefully will will be the actual um application part of it so we've got the being able to detect the amount of um, nitrogen the crops need the next part is going to be um, building the um, hardware and the software to then actually be able to apply uh, the foliar nitrogen um, precisely to individual plants um, fairly regularly throughout the season. Um, so the next stage is is sort of going from the proof um, feasibility study of can we can it, is it possible to actually being able to go across the field and um, apply precise nitrogen. And it'll be you know true precision farming, and we hope that it should it should increase yields, but it should also dramatically reduce the amount of nitrogen um, that is needed. Yeah. And so you're you know you're doing it per plant, so you're, you're tailoring your nutrition to each each individual plant in the field. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool, and that tying tying that in with kind of like these more holistic methods that we mentioned, and like the hard data yeah. and modern technology, it's a it's a good combination. Yeah, no, I'm a believer, believer in both. I think, you know, technology is going to bring a lot, but um, if you don't back it up with good soil health and um, good practices, it's, 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 um, it's, it can only go so far. Um, so it's definitely going to be a blend, of the, a blend of the biological and the technical in the future, uh, is my, uh, my opinion anyway. Yeah, definitely. That's brilliant. Thank you, Andy. And it's really good to hear about all the different things that you're doing on your farm and such a positive success story. And now for my final guest today, who's going to give us some hints and tips on how to maximise fertiliser performance during the application process. I've got with me here Graham Owen, Product Manager at Cavernaland. So the theme of the podcast has been a lot about marginal gains in nitrogen efficiency Um, and I also wanted to include the application process in that because that's really something that's within our control. So first off, why is it so important to ensure that kit is set up properly? You know, what difference can that make to nitrogen use, margins and so on? Yeah, I mean, the the, the most important reason why the kit has to be set up correctly is that you want an even distribution of the products across the full working width yeah um now and that can be with with two different things but with with a straight so like say for instance nitrogen then as long as you've got that right then um 
that then you know you're going to get an even you know if you imagine throwing a handful of golf balls everywhere then you'd you know if you had a, a lot of squares on the floor you'd want one in each technically yeah, yeah. And that would give you a, a nice even spread um but something like a um ammonium sulfate some of that you know sort of the where you've got two chemicals then um, ideally you want that in a compound so um basically in that golf ball you've got both chemicals and again set up correctly you'll get a nice even spread but if for instance you've got what we call a blend so now we've got a golf ball and a ping pong ball so the nitrogen is in the golf ball and the, and the sulfur is in the ping pong ball if you've got a handful of, of two of each and threw it then all your golf balls would be down the field and all the ping pong balls would be at your feet wouldn't they because there's no mass to throw them so again it's always important that when you set up machines with straights, it's never a problem, but with um, with blends, you make sure that the blend is of, of a good quality, of, of even um, distribution of, you know, you can t- usually tell uh, the, the product within there, but it, it's of even, even size so that we're going to get when we throw this um, this this spray of um, fertilizer out the back of the machine, you're going to get an even even spread of, of mixed, you know, and even. So what you don't want is all the sulfur in one place and all the nitrogen in another. You want the nitrogen. So it's all about even spreading. That's that's the most important thing. Yeah, no, that's a good analogy with the golf balls. So it's all about getting this um, the spread pattern even across the full working width. And if you do that, then, then you'll get what you're after with the NUE, the um, nitrogen uptake. Yeah. Uh, efficiency, you'll get that uh, because you've got an even spread. And then you'll get a nice even crop as well. You'll get a nice even crop at the end. I know it sounds very, but that's how it works, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) And then in terms of, you know, ensuring the most efficient and kind of effective application, what are your top tips for calibrating? Uh, um, Always with with any machine, it's all about um, setting the machine up. So make sure you've got, you you check the product and the products of a good quality. And, and if you've got a good quality product, then um, it, uh, it's in good condition. And what I mean by good condition is the water's not got to it, so it's firm. So uh, if you imagine um, we have our golf ball, for instance, and our golf ball's nice and hard, mm-hmm. um, then then when it's being spread by the uh, by the vein, it's not being damaged. But if our golf ball suddenly turns to mush or, or has gone ultra brittle when the vein hits it. Uh, it'll either smash into small bits and create dust, which again then creates those uh, spread patterns. So it's all about the quality. Your best way is your quality of fertilizer and making sure that the um, the, the settings for the machine are correct. And, and in that is uh, obviously your application rate, your working width, your forward speed, and you set and calibrate the machine to do to do that and check your spread pattern. And, and if, you, if you get that, then you're there. And what about um, maintenance tips and hygiene, and you know, getting getting things set up ready for the spring? Yeah, I mean, cleanliness of the cleanliness of the veins is 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 important because if your veins are um, crusted or rust, um, you know, it's got deposits on them. Then, if you imagine this this ski slope, um, it should be nice and smooth for the fertilizer to to go down and, and spread out wide. But if somebody suddenly puts a load of grit on the ski slope, then that will start, or sandpaper, imagine sandpaper there, then the fertiliser coming down, it will slow down, and again, it will affect your spread pattern. So it's all about uh, keeping the machine clean and well-maintained. That's the most important thing with a, with a, a fertiliser spreader. Yeah, and, and what we always have to remember is that um, with, with the 
proprietary products like CF fertilizers, the big names, then then it, it's it's like buying a, a, a bag of Tetley sugar, uh, sugar uh, uh, silver spoon sugar, or whatever. It's the same year on year on year on year. It never changes. It's white. It's the same size, same granulation. Everything is great. But some of this imported uh, fertilizer, then although the fertilizer can have the same um, chemical elements within it. It can be a totally different size. So instead of um, one one year um, being like uh, granular sugar, the next year it might be castor sugar. The next year it might be like demerara sugar. You know, totally different in its product, but the actual taste of it is the same, if you like. But again, that's the importance of setting your machine. So so for, for us, we have to set... Um, and a lot of manufacturers now provide what we call a grading box. And with that grading box... You, um, you then work out what the properties of the fertilizer are. You can't use the same setting for, you know, just because it looks the size of a golf ball, you can't use the same setting to spread it because it, it's, um, its mass is different. So, again, it's about looking at the fertilizer you've got, and, you know, look at it properly, um, grade it so you, you know how much, um, if you imagine this, this little uh, box is divided into four or five um, cubicles uh, in, into four or five sections and you, you sco- scoop up the fertilizer in um, into one into the big part and then you shake it down and what you want is all the fertilizer ideally say in the middle two or three of, uh, sections of the box so we don't want anything down where the dust is because if you imagine you get a handful of flour and try and fl- throw a handful of flour then it goes just in a puff around you, yeah. uh, but we don't want a handful of um, golf balls that you're going to throw, and they're going to, you know, the same effort they go bloody all, all miles away. So it's again, it's about looking at the average fertilizer um, properties and then setting the machine for the average. So it's all it, it, the, the critical thing is setting the machine up right, and what what never or very rarely changes. All right, with the proprietary products, year on year on year, you can use the same setting for the same products. So if I buy Nitram, for instance, then the, the Nitram setting you had last year is the same as the Nitram setting you had this year. If you buy some of the imported fertilizer, and what you'll find is the actual base, the carrier material changes. So one year it might be pink, one year it might be grey, it might be white, um, all different shades, different colours, um, because the actual carrier material is different. What you can't do is assume that the settings are the same for that, because it's, it's fractionation might might be different so say for instance in our box we have um we go for say not 80 20 naught but next year that might be not 60 40 naught for exactly the same product with exactly the same name but because it's a, a different base product um the actual carrier part then you can't use the same setting because it's not the same product people will come on say the field striped right okay what, what's what's different? Well, you check the machine. The machine is absolutely perfect. Be ours or anybody, it doesn't matter. The machine is 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 technically correct. So the only difference is the fertilizer. The, the variation is fertilizer, and yet it's always the machine that gets blamed for striping, because the the, the one variation with with non proprietary blended fertilizer is, is that it's never the same. And then in terms of actual application. The application yep. process. Um, have you got any advice? Anything that people need to be mindful of? You know, other than kind of the calibration and stuff that you've already talked about. Um, the thing again is, if if you set your uh, spreader to to spread at a certain width at a certain speed, 
then then you can't expect to go double that speed and have the same settings because the faster you go, if you imagine, it just curls the end of the spread pattern around. So um, you have to set the machine for the, the 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 speed you're going to drive at, not set it for one and then go in the field and drive at another, which is unbelievably common. But yeah, once you set, set correct, right height, drive at a constant speed. That That's the most important. Drive to the settings you've set the machine to do. And then your tips is keep the machine maintained, keep it oiled and greased where necessary. Uh, keep the veins clean, keep the discs clean. Um, don't leave fertiliser in the in the hopper overnight. The fertiliser is very hydroscopic, uh, so it draws mo- moisture in and then won't flow anymore. I guess it's going to be all about real attention to detail this season and yeah, the fact yeah. that they're dealing with gold dust at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And that's all we've got time for for today, I'm afraid. But I hope our guests have given you some helpful take-homes for managing crop nutrition this season and making it that little bit easier for you. Next month, we'll be looking at disease management and some of the emerging technology there. But until then, take care.